0: Hey folks, welcome to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have Carlos Menares today; he is he is out. But fortunately for y'all, we've got uh, a couple of dudes that um, that actually know basketball, and so Carlos doesn't. So that's a plus. And since we're in the middle, or not in the middle, but we're about to start the NCAA tournament, I think uh, I think it's the way we need to do it this week. So we're going to welcome in Graham Couch, who's a columnist at the Lansing State Journal and knows all things Spartans, and uh, he likes to think all things, everything. Right, Graham. I mean, that's kind of your MO, right? I know everything, and nobody else knows anything. I think I think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. Mostly beer league softball and and uh, and chess, and 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 pick up basketball. And I'll be curious to see how it goes when you tell our next guest Aunt Wright what it's like when you're in a pickup game and uh, you want to establish your your dominant presence and you're pulling up from 40 feet the first time you get the ball. (laughs) I will be I will be curious.
1: I'll be curious to his reaction to my. Initial pickup game strategy. Yeah. No, I'll, I'll okay.
0: Break. All right. So so yeah. So Ant Wright, who's a huge presence in in our area on on social media, played basketball at Michigan. So he's probably the only one of the three of us that actually understands the game, or at least uh, understands the game at a higher level. He also does a lot of things. He's got a he's got a media group. W- welcome, Ant. Uh, tell us a little bit about some of your companies and what you, what you're doing these
2: days. For sure. Um, you know, I'm the you know owner of Wright Media and. One of those legs that we have is Full Ride Network. Uh, right now, we have about a dozen websites that is focused on collegiate sports. Uh, two of those are from Michigan and Michigan State. It's BlueBy90.com, B-L-U-E-B-Y-N-I-N-E-T-Y.com, and then SpartanShadows.com. And uh, they, they they do an excellent job. You know, we're on pace for over a million page views with our brand new websites. This is our third month with those and um, and we are uh um, on track to just do a great job throughout the spring, summer and into uh football. So check those out for sure.
0: Well thanks for joining us. Ant. Um and let's 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 get right to it. But before we start look, so much of what we do, we all three live in this world of, of of this Michigan Michigan State rivalry. It's obviously more heated for football, but but it's gotten that way for basketball to some degree, or at least close to it. And before we get into, you know, Hey, Kobe Bufkin or Jade Nickens, and we'll do a lot of that. And one of the things, by the way, Graham Ant is, is really good at is player breakdowns. He does it for yeah. high school players, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll we'll get into that a little bit. But just both you all both you alls overall thoughts uh, on Michigan, Michigan State, where they're at, um, where they're headed, and and we can talk about whether each coach is feeling any pressure, what kind of pressure. But uh, let's let's start with you, Ant, just kind of what's your what's your thoughts so far on what Michigan State is doing and what kind of chance they have in the tournament and then, and then what you've seen from Michigan?
2: I like Michigan State's chances in this tournament. I think they have a great opportunity. Now, it's up to them to seize it. Uh, but I think they have the second easiest route to the Final Four. Like, it's not easy, but the second most manageable route to the Final Four out of all the Big Ten teams that I've been really looking at. I think Purdue is first, but I think they're both in a very manageable re, uh region there are a bunch of seeds who i feel if you were to pick any of the four seeds that are on a certain line that you would want them so out of like the two line right out of all those two seeds i think that you would want i think that you would want a marquette team and a marquette team that is younger that is uh, a bit new to this whole scenario you know they were successful in the in the big east this year but still it's still a brand new type of thing when it comes down to uh, just how they're able to operate. They didn't play well in the Big Ten tournament, but but the games leading up to that, they've shown that actually throughout this year, they've shown when they're able to shoot the ball, uh, they're really hard team to beat and if they're able to just manage to do that throughout because they got shooters they have akins they got walker they got hauser they have guys who can really shoot the ball if those guys are shooting the ball at a decent clip they're they're going to be right there every single game
1: graham yeah i mean i i think you know his analysis of marquette is interesting because the one thing i i really like in michigan state's early matchups is neither of their potential their their first round opponent usc or, or marquette has the position and the player that can really hurt them inside. Like they don't have that, and they don't, they're not going to hurt you on the glass. And that that to me is where Michigan State really gets hurt beyond days where they just miss shots is when they get beat up and they can't keep people off the glass and and the game gets hard for them and they lose out on possessions. And then they're just, you know, they already play a brand of basketball because they don't get a lot of easy buckets at the rim that you're going to have days where the sport just isn't easy and and it's just not falling. So that element not being there allows them to sort of be a little more strength on strength, I think, and um, I think gives them a decent, a decent shot. And and I think this team has, and you, Sean, you and I have talked about this too, uh, a little more to it than some of their other seven or eight seed teams in terms of potential to get beyond the first weekend. It doesn't mean they're not just as capable of losing to USC. We've, we've seen them do that. But they've also been a team, I think every time that they have had to win a game, sort of found a way to do it like it felt like every time there's a little bit of a close to back th- against the wall situation and not they were never really on the bubble this year or anything but but it, there would be games where it felt like boy this is kind of a a, a needed win and they'd get it and and so that's that's a, I don't know, a trait a characteristic they seem to have to them and um I, I am what they played like in the last four games of the regular season before the ohio state game and some of the the offense they found um I, and, and in i think was a big part of that because it creates just one more shooter that becomes, you, you saw like in Nebraska, there were times where you, you're really picking your poison defensively. They just got a lot of guys and they could finally, for the first time all season, you saw them overwhelm a team offensively when they were shooting like that for a few games and, and that was new. So, I'm curious to see if they can get some of that back.
0: You know, it's interesting to me that USC, I, I know the early scout from the state folks, that they, they, they see it as a team that's you know they're athletic. They have size in the perimeter. They're, they're they got one guard who's six eight, maybe he's even six nine. And like you said, Graham, they don't have the big. But to me, when I look at USC, and I haven't watched them a lot, I'm sure you've seen them a lot more. But from from State's perspective, what they've seen on film so far is that you know they get up in you defensively, offensively. They don't do much more than high ball screens, maybe maybe a couple of things here and there. But this is the kind of team that I mean can can present problems because of the athleticism. But but Izzo's had his way on and off over the years with these kind of teams in the tournament i'm thinking of lsu for example um not a great not a perfect comparison a few years ago the year they beat duke in the regional i think they played lsu in the sweet 16 that was a very athletic team but uh and state wasn't as athletic that year but they just sort of picked them apart with with winston and and McQuaid and goins and those guys and so i i wonder what you see in terms of the the usc matchup because obviously they could lose but but this is where Izzo can can thrive um, when he's got the right kind of team for him.
2: For sure. I mean, I pulled up their synergy stats here to kind of back up uh, exactly like who they are. They About six guys, they run their offense through. Uh, of these six, these are the only six with at least 190 possessions this year. That's to be led by Bo- Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson for the most, most part. Dude, Boogie Ellis is going to be the better shooter on the perimeter, uh, and then you're gonna have, uh, Drew Peterson is gonna be more so your creator along with Kobe Johnson. Uh, this is a more so of a guard led team and any guard, any backcourt matchup that Michigan State can get into, I think it's gonna favor them because I like Michigan State's backcourt as being one of the best in the country, especially when they're all playing at least just average. Like they don't even have to play great. At their average, uh, they're still top 10 to me backcourt in the entire con- country and, you know, top two, top three in the Big Ten.
0: Let me let me ask you, Graham. So speaking of their guards, it's interesting. I was talking about this with somebody the other day with we've seen Walker go for 30, you know, 20. He's capable of that. They've lost a couple. I mean, Purdue is the most obvious example. Purdue at Breslin when he went for close to 30 or 30 or whatever, and they still lost. I mean, he's electric, and he's obviously a three-level score. But to me, when Hogard's engaged, um, it's different, right? I mean, Walker can put them on their back a little bit and keep him in a game, but when Hogard's engaged, it, it has a ripple effect to me that's a little bit different, and it lifts everybody else. Yeah. And I think that's why Izzo's so hard on him, harder than anybody else on the team. And I'm curious, first of all, where you think Hogard is, and because he didn't play well in the first half against Ohio State. You saw Izzo go down and sit sit in the middle of the bench with him, right? And in fact, you talked about that the other day, but what do you think Hogarth is and and, and what's your sense of the guard play?
1: Yeah, yeah, Walker's kind of the guy who rescues them, and Hogarth's the guy who's rolling when they're rolling. You know, that's sort of, I mean, Tyson Walker's, you know, I mean, he's a guy that can be an equalizer when they're facing a matchup that they don't quite win, like Zach Eady, and he gives them, you know, he's just, he's better than, you know, he gave Purdue's guards fits. He's done that a few other times. But yeah, Hogarth is, I mean, (laughs) one of the more interesting people I've, Covered in that regard, and I, I talked to him the other day about the, the situation with him and Izzo on the bench, and you know, I mean, I have a feeling that that conversation and that response has happened many a time. <laughs> and you know, Hogard just said, you know, I didn't realize quite how viral it was going to go. I think you, you sort of forget you're on national TV and you're you're having this moment. He was upset with himself. You know, I, I've talked before about the idea of a um, some people don't have great resting faces like Jim Harbaugh he's got that gaping mouth open, looks like he's confused. Like, I think there's an industry out there like, uh, you know, uh, where you can be a consultant for people to teach them. Jim Caldwell had this problem. He always looked confused. Smart guy, looked confused, right? Like every time the camera cut to him, they should have, a, you know, people come around and like, this is what you want your face to look like. Hogart could use that. Hogarth could use, when Izzo is yelling at you, here's the face, right? And, uh, but, you know, I, I he he's very aware of it at this point. And the question is whether you know it, whether he is going to put together you know a really focused tournament. He was he really came out of the scene last year. You remember that Purdue game in the Big Ten tournament, and then right, I mean that was sort when of when he got up into when he got up into Ivy. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of like okay, wow, this guy can actually be a problem. And, and he was a guy you know was he was had no shot last year. Now he's got at least a decent you know at least capable of, of shooting, and yet he could still get in the lane and be a problem downhill. And you couldn't just you know completely sag off. I, I I think so much of what Michigan State's ceiling is revolves around him, which is probably a problem for Michigan State because they need. But I also think you're now at the NCAA tournament where Izzo plays the long game with him, and he will bench him, not caring if they beat Ohio State, trying to get a message home for what's to come later and the accountability. I do wonder if he gets a little bit uh, of a longer go now, even when he's struggling because Izzo understands that, like, it just doesn't help them to take him out when he's struggling. The, the drop-off between him and and, and, and Trey Holloman in, in terms of ceiling and other things is severe. Now, the one thing that worked a couple of times when he was struggling, and I would expect they go to this in you know, a single elimination tournament, is they just put the ball in Tyson Walker's hands at like Ohio State on the road this year and sort of went back to the days where they played him in a lot in the point guard. and. and and that worked, and he's you know so I, I don't know I, but I, yeah I don't I, you can't trust AJ Hogard in terms of consistency but I think when he's right and he's he's headed downhill and and I think he's the the guy that other coaches probably fear the most.
2: I, wanna, Defensively I want, too Defensively. Yeah,
0: no, no, for sure. And I want to ask you this, and let's let's stay with Hogard here for a second I, because I remember what the, you mentioned that Purdue game Graham last year in a Big Ten tournament, and he was great. It was sort of shocking actually he, how he got up into Ivy. um, and did that actually at the at the home game against Purdue? But the game that sticks out to me is the Duke game because Gay Brown hit a lot of shots in that first half. But the reason they were in that Duke game to, to, toward the end and had a legitimate chance to win, to me, was because of Hogard and his swag, right? Do, do you, and and at the way he was attacking? What was the big guy's name? Williams uh, was it? Mark Williams? I can't remember. But the but the way he played against Duke and the, just the, and we were sitting courtside, you could feel that. And that's been really inconsistent this year. But for Ann, I'm curious. First of all, what do you think of his his ability to kind of take over and his his physicality? But but do you do you agree that he is the barometer in, in a way, even though he may not be the most skilled uh, offensively?
2: I do because you know the thing with this whole backcourt is that they don't play just on one end. Like they are two way dogs on both ends. Aikens two way guy. Uh, Tyson Walker's a two way guy. He's smaller, right? Uh, he had a little bit of issues with Bruce Thornton because he had him by about 40, 50 pounds. Yeah. But, you know, two way guy and AJ Hogard, two way guy. And his defense on some of the better players, like like last year, him guarding Bubui, him guarding, oh, him guarding Johnny Davis. He made Johnny Davis look silly. He did. Very silly. Um, just defensively, just getting up in guys, just being frustrating, being quick enough, but then being big enough to where you can't really, really knock him off his block. You know, he's all of what two fifteen. You know, like I yeah. don't care what yeah. he's, I don't care what he's listed at. He's plus ten, whatever that is. He is a big dude at six three, and he's so quick, and he has the mentality to play. He has. He has that, I'm not going to lose this possession mentality. I don't care who you are. I'm going to beat you in this possession. And when you have someone like that, that just makes everyone behind you play that much harder and that much better, not trying to let him down. Now, from an offensive standpoint, that's kind of where, you know, it's been a little bit up and down. And it's mainly because if his shot is going, if things are going in his way, he plays up to it, right? If he starts... You know, turning the ball over, getting some charges, he can get frustrated. That all impacts his game. He's just got to be real mellow, real, real chill. Doesn't need to play excellent, just needs to play above average for him to be good on the offensive end. And then defensively, that travels. You don't need to have a good or bad day on defense. Just go out there and play hard, trust your instincts, and trust your talent. And he can stop anybody in the the, uh, country at the one or the two spot. In my he,
1: he's an interesting guy in terms of, um, I think the way he feels out of game sometimes doesn't work with Izzo, and that's been, so I, I think part of the, you know, people say, well, slow starts, and he'll pick up a charge here. Or I think sometimes he's figuring out what the game's going to be, and in doing that, and, and, and sometimes they don't let him do that, <laughs> and that's, that you know, and, and I end, you don't want to get off to a horrible start here and there, but if you watch his sort of understanding of game situation, he's the only guy when they're losing against Northwestern at home, he Tried to take that game over, and nearly did, and brought him back when they're at uh, Indiana. And there was maybe it was Purdue. Purdue, one of those places, and it was going horribly. He, he can take it to another gear and put people on his back. For, and he understands, okay, this is a moment where I got to do things differently. Nothing else is, is working. And when things are best for Michigan State, you know, he's whipping the ball around, and he just he feels like he's got it on a string, and he's having fun with it. I, I think sometimes what happens early in games is misinterpreted as him not. Caring or being focused, I think he's trying to figure out the game, and 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 sometimes that um, he doesn't, they don't let him do that enough.
0: Well, frustration can sometimes look like something else, right? Like, or 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 when you're tight, you know. I I felt that about Michigan. I've been arguing with some Michigan fans recently in the game against Rutgers in the Big Ten tournament. There were a lot of fan, a part of the fan base didn't think they they were engaged enough or cared enough which I've just I've never liked that you're talking about a college athlete who's out there who works all the time to be in that position and um, you know Phil Martelli was saying after the game look we we were just it overwhelmed us they, they felt like they were playing one tournament game after another to get to that point and then the stage just got them a little bit it's a young team it's the youngest team in the Big Ten and because they were anxious that can then slow you down you know how it works in your, your synapse if you're upset or worried or nervous about something then you're thinking a little bit and then you're it slows you down physically, so that can read as apathy or you know you're not engaged. When in fact it's the opposite. You care so much it's slowing you down. So I wonder sometimes with Hogarth, it's not apathy or, or tightness as much as maybe frustration that's having a similar physical effect. Because mentally, and Ant can speak to this. You played at a at a high level, but real quickly before we take our first break, I I, I want to get your guys' thoughts on on ISO and because it, as you know this. Graham there's a chunk of the fan base it's funny after they lost Ohio State I was getting texts from alums that I know that have worked in the business You know, journalists are like they're not sports people but they're like okay it's time for him to retire you get this and we've gotten this the last couple of years do you feel like and he talked about getting to the second weekend the other day the team talked about it do y'all feel like there's any pressure does Izzo feel any pressure because he has not been to the second weekend, and I know COVID interrupted it? That COVID year, he had a had a team that was good enough to win it. But um, what's what's your perspective, both of you, on this? I don't think pressure. Don't oh, th- go ahead, Ed. yeah, go ahead,
2: Ed. sorry. I mean, this would be really like quick. I don't think anybody puts pressure on getting to a Final Four or winning a national championship again more than Izzo himself, honestly. And I don't, I don't think the outside noise is really anything that he pays much attention to unless it's unless it's aimed at his players that he'll speak up and speak out but anything geared towards him I don't think bothers him one bit that's just me
1: all right no I, I agree with that he, he was bringing it up the other day well, though Graham I, you were you were there so there, there'll become a point where it'll bother him that they haven't gotten to the second weekend and I I don't I think this is probably the the tipping point for that like you, you you'll notice like with the Champions classic at a certain at a certain point losing to Kentucky. Duke, and Kansas at a, at a certain percentage was starting to bother him. And that became a big deal. Like winning that game became a bigger deal to him for, for the only reason that he didn't like that his program was being viewed as like the fourth school there. And you can just tell. And, and I think internally this would be three tournaments where they don't get to the second weekend. If they don't get there, where they don't feel like an elite program, they feel like, it, like, like a, a, a middling NCAA tournament team. I think that would start to bother him. Now, I think if, if they didn't have, I mean, he knows what everybody knows. They have a really good class coming in. They got a lot of guys probably coming back uh, and, and especially with this sort of weird extra year situation. They've got a chance to have sort of an ideal mix of, of seasoned, really good college basketball players and some higher end freshmen next year. And that's that's the ideal team if you can put it together. So I don't think, you know, it's, it's not like it, it feels like this has to be the year, but I, I do think he, he knows he's got a team that's, A little better than maybe last year's team certainly the team two years ago and he also knows he's the guy that didn't give he can say what he wants about the center position and and you know i've talked to him a lot about about the decision to to stick with the guys he had and you know go with marty sissoko but there's no doubt that the rest of the roster with a good big man it could be an elite college basketball team and so you have chosen to go one way and i think he he knows that he has the other parts to get somewhere and i think he'd like to do it so i think there's internal pressure but but i don't i don't think uh, he's certainly after you know first of all he doesn't live in social media as much so he he's able to ignore a lot of things but i don't i don't think he he feels anything outside
0: well i think i saw ant uh, tweet this out within the last week it was talking about the the classic the best iso teams have been Built on great guard played and then sort of formidable. I think he was the word formidable. I can't remember exactly, but a, a, a tough interior presence, not necessarily high scoring interior. For example, you put junior season Tillman on the, even sophomore Tillman put uh, on this team, and this is a completely different team, right? 100%. So.
2: Even yeah, Nick yeah, Ward,
0: man. Even Nick Ward, you know. Yeah, you put Roy. Uh, why do I always keep saying Roy Julius Marble. Marble? It dates. It dates me way too yeah. much back to the to the Did you put Julius Marble on the team? He's having a good year at Texas A and M, right? So, all right, look, we let's let's take a quick break, uh, get some sponsors in here, and uh, we'll be right back uh, with more Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. and We will dig into Michigan. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. All right, we we were just talking about pressure and and Izzo, which is sort of silly, in you know, for all sorts of reasons. But um, and Graham, I <laughs> speaking of Jawan Howard in, in pressure, I don't I don't know that he's feeling it one way or the other. I I certainly don't think he's on the hot seat. I, I know though that what's happened this season, especially what's happened the last few weeks, has really frustrated a lot of the fan base. And I, it's funny, I wrote a column it was the last week of the week before. And at that point, they had not played at Illinois or at Indiana. Basically, the argument is ridiculous that Howard is on the, the hot seat, that the team had showed improvement. I think they were 6-2 and two at that point in their previous eight games, and had gotten themselves in a position to at least fight for an NCAA tournament bid.
1: I know this Colin rolls,
0: huh? Yeah, and then if nothing else, that in a down year, if you still show improvement, you got a couple of guys that are developing, particularly Kobe Bufkin. Uh, D- Doug McDaniel was getting better, too. And more comfortable. The fact that you lost your, your 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 point guard, just the circumstances that not every year is going to go perfect. But the idea is in you know, a hot seat anyway. I've taken so much flack. And by the way, when they were in a game with Toledo uh, on Monday night, uh, Tuesday, Monday night, Tuesday night, God, I can't remember the dates. Twitter started blowing up again at me, saying, "Look, look at this! They can't even they can't even beat Toledo that column." And it was just ridiculous. And and what's funny is from my position. Michigan fans were pissed at me for defending Howard. Michigan State fans were even more pissed at well, me because they think, they, 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 think they think there's a blue yeah they think there's a blue wall, at the free press, which is ridiculous. But um, I'm like, look, look at whatever about Izzo. But anyway, I, what do you? Let's start with you, and what do you think of? You're tapped into this. You played there. You you know this community. What, what's your sense of, of the feeling about Jawan? Ju- uh, these days.
2: First of all, RIP to your mentions, man. Uh. I saw that that war, and I veered right around. I'm like, I'm not going to get in there. I'm not going <laughs> to. I,
0: I, I jumped right in. Just, I jumped right in. Graham, Graham, Graham tried on. to defend <laughs> me. I I don't get in
2: there, but <laughs> Graham tried to defend me. <laughs> Man, he took out the sword and all those horses coming at Graham. <laughs> Graham's like I'm with like, <laughs> you. I'm like, no, I'm about to just watch from afar. But, um, well, what I feel is, um, you know, you have the you have the fans who are going to back the coach no no, no matter what. Then you have the other fans who are so who have been spoiled by John Beeline's team, uh, teams in the in the past, and uh, there's some there's some division there for sure. Um, I think what's missing is a lot of nuance and context, especially for this year, uh, which, you know, some of it does fall on Juwan with how the roster is constructed and struggling in a non-conference where I think if you if you're a little bit older on the perimeter, it probably gets you through some of those tough games. It probably gets you through maybe beating Virginia when you're up double digits, you're beating a very mid North Carolina team. They're probably challenging a, a also a very mid-Kentucky team at the time. They've come along lately to make them a six seed, but they weren't very good in those first couple months, right? And I think that you see these situations and then you bring up the record in like one to two possession games, comparing B line and Howard, and you know, they're like one in twelve this year in like one or two possession games. And then, you know, B line had like an over 500 record with like 15 and six, 15 and seven. So a lot of it is because of, you know, in 2019, Beeline's last year, fans were let down. They won 30 games and went to a Sweet 16. Like fans were let down from that year. And this feels far from that. So some fans are like, this is what, this is, this was our down just a few years ago. Now our down is being the NIT. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh like a civil war going on right now <laughs> when it comes to the hot seat. It seems not hot. you know this is the first tournament he's missed. This is a roster that very young on the perimeter who the in the like Doug and Kobe especially they've gotten a lot better this year when Jalen Llewellyn went down. Doug came right into it, and Doug is not the same player as he was back in November december. Kobe Bufkin. He had an outstanding off season. He was, he was, I was watching the, the exhibition game. And in the first 10 minutes, I was like, I talked to the NBA draft chat. I'm like, Kobe Buff lottery 2024. Like just watch it just 10 minutes. And then <laughs> now you see what's going on with him. Like, there's no surprise to me. Outstanding off season, but these younger guys, they still needed minutes. Kobe just turned 19 in September, you have Doug, who's a true freshman, Jet, who's a true freshman, these perimeter guys are playing a lot of minutes and they had to, and they had to really grow up and they had to go through a bunch of lumps and some of those lumps you want to go through and still win by a little bit, right? You don't want to lose those games. It's much easier to get better on a lump that you win than you lose and those those losses kept stacking up on the right side of the column, and it's really frustrating for fans. Seeing that of their was it 15 losses this year, 12 of them have come by like you know, you yeah. know, you know they're they're probably four or five possessions away from being like a seven or eight seed, which is insane and or better. Yeah, yeah, frankly, what was yeah. what was Michigan I mean, they were in
1: second place in the Big Ten not that long ago, right, Grant? But what, what was Michigan preseason ranked?
2: They were, were they ranked? Were they, they're like 20 something.
1: Right. So this to me should be a reason we, we get rid of the AP poll. Like you you can't, like you've got to be better than that as an AP voter to understand a team with young guards is going to struggle. Like you got to know that you can't just look at Hunter Dickinson and say, yeah, junior big man has been an all American. If you've got young guards in college basketball, with a decent early schedule, you are going to struggle. And that. I think that that's part of what happens with any season is the perception coming into the season. Right. And that, that was Michigan dealt with some decent expectations because they had the returning big man. And yet you just, I mean, when you, when you to the point of your column, Sean, when, when you watch like Doug McDaniel, February, it's just, uh, that's a different guy than the beginning of January. And that's what happens. That's what you want with freshman guards. Buffkin has become one of my favorite college basketball players to watch. And like, now, and, he, and I know he's a sophomore, but he, you know, this is his first year at that he level. He didn't Play much last year, did he? Yeah, yeah I mean, this. Is, so I mean, it's just it's a it's a different deal. And then Jet Howard, that's a whole. You know, I do think there were some. You know, it's hard to overcome some of the defensive mishaps there, and 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 they probably. I know this kid. I don't want to wade into this battle, but I probably they probably needed a little less of him on the court, and then 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 he played a little more accountability on certain things defensively. But nonetheless, you got a young backcourt. This is sometimes what happens. It's not entirely. It's not entirely surprising.
2: And people are going to come in and say, well, what about Purdue? First of all, Purdue's backcourt is young with two true freshmen. At the same time, they could lean on Brandon Newman, who was a third-year player. Ethan Morton, another third-year player, I believe third-year player. And then you had David Jenkins, who's a fifth-year guy, who are right there to hold them up and who are right there to rub shoulders with in the film room, rubbing shoulders with in the weight room in practice, when watching things and when they're on the bench, when they get subbed out, they get to be taught by not just the coaches, but by the elder statesmen. So, but before people want to say, but Purdue, I do want to give that context. Yeah, it's sometimes. Well, a plus, plus they have
0: stuff. forwards too. They have forwards too, right? That have a fair amount of experience first, and the, and the, the other fellows, the name escapes me, but they've, so their whole front line is, they are yeah. as veterans, whereas Michigan, it's not just the perimeter guys of Michigan, they're, they're I mean, Reed and Cheddar are both, Really, really young, right? So, there was just there was just. I mean, they're the youngest team in the Big Ten, and I, and I, and I, I don't think it's close. I um I'm with you. I'm with you both on on Buffkin. I just I was surprised at the at the at the backlash I got. I mean, I, people forget. You know, we're talking about state. So, Izzo had a team with Winston, Bridges, Ward, and Langford, and they were all freshmen, and that team barely got in, right? And they had to make a push at the end of the year. And they had all that talent because they were young. I mean, what was Cassius Winston's like as a freshman,
1: right? probably not playing enough but yeah they're playing there. <laughs>
0: yeah. way, but well, well no no, for sure. lot, no. Yeah. And, and speaking of caster Swinson, and this this will get into a conversation we're going to have here in a minute about about ben carter and jaron jackson but well, well we'll save that just for a second because Castor Swinson to me is related to that too. that in in any case yeah there, there's example after example i thought and graham i was so it was fun to see you sort of try to defend me on twitter with this but the idea that they went, what was it, six and two, and then they go to Illinois and Indiana, and those are and ants played in both those places. We've covered games in both those places. Yeah. I grew up around Champaign for a bit. That's one of the best underrated sneaky atmospheres in college basketball. My, my... In Indiana, right? Yeah. In Indiana, we and it's loud as hell in the assembly good. hall. In Indiana is very, very similar. And so the fact that they took both those squads, good tournament squads on the road to overtime, I mean I felt like they played their best ball, and, and I've talked about this with Martelli in Chicago the other day, that it, that the, when Michigan State came, the Michigan-Michigan State game, it was obviously a very emotional. And it was a really, really beautiful human night in so many ways, but, but overshadowed was that both those teams played their butts off. And I would argue they looked the best they'd looked all season, both of them. And, and it was a high-level game, and then both of them went from there and played great until they got to Chicago. They sort of carried that momentum, but it felt maybe a little uncomfortable to talk about it that night because of all the other uh, things that were happening and, and the, the, the emotion. But I, I feel like that's what shocked me about the backlash was that it was pretty obvious that, st- that Michigan was playing its best ball when you want them to play its best ball, and that that says something about the staff. Forget the roster construction. I mean, that's a different issue, and I know that that's going to have to
2: be addressed. But uh, what was your take on that night? I mean, you got the backlash because it it was definitely the headline, right? The headline got people going, and I don't think a lot of people read that. But with that night, you know, there was, like you said, a lot of emotion, and both teams were playing very, very well. I believe the game was tied with, like, what, three minutes left? Something like that, around, right, Graham? Yeah. Was, tied around 62 or something like that. 74, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then they hit a couple big threes, one by Hunter, one by Kobe, right? And then that was pretty much the game.
1: Yeah, and they finished but that when, night, which, when, which is something they hadn't always done. Which, yes,
2: yeah. they never finish. Yeah. They never finish. Yeah. They don't finish games, and they, they, they could be up by like 10 with three minutes left, and I don't care. You know, I'm like, what's going to happen now? Are they going to execute? Are they going to rebound? Are they going to do the little things to go ahead and finish this game? And a lot of times this year, they didn't. They didn't execute. And if they did execute, something would happen that that would be against them. And then they, they would have to get a stop on defense, which didn't happen a lot. So they were just putting these such these really, really tough such situations end the game, you have to make this play. And more times than not, that play was not made or it was made against them.
1: We should get into the, uh, the Jay Nakins Kobe Buck and thanks Sean yeah let's let's do that before we finish up and go back to, to
0: everybody's favorite topic and Ben Carter yeah no. <laughs> yeah no, you know, because Ant was talking before we started recording, ant was talking to, to, giving us a great player breakdown but do, do, do you have any quick thoughts with this setup Graham for
1: Well no, I, I just think one of the, one of the interesting things and, and you know I, I enjoy Ant's breakdowns and, and analysis uh, and but one of the things he's been um uh on is the idea that 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 Aikens and Buffkin aren't really that what what separates them is the roles and what they're asked to do more than any Length also. And um and so yeah, I was just hoping he could get into that and we could we could chat about it for a minute.
0: Yeah, because state fans I've heard some state fans say, Okay, well why is Buffkin on the NBA draft boards and Akins and is not. So yeah, let's let's get Ann's thoughts there.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's fairly easy is so it's the roles that they play. You have Kobe Bufkin, he's probably put over 150 possessions this year out of the pick and roll, right? Where he's coming off, he's making decisions. What's the NBA? The NBA is a pick and roll league. Whether it's in the middle third of the court or the left third or the right third, he's coming off and he's making decisions whether, whether to score or hit someone, whether they hit the roll, hit the pop, hit the left, hit the right wing, hit, hit, hit the opposite corner, uh, go ISO himself. He's, he's in those decisions all the time. When it comes to Jaden Akins, he's in those concepts a fraction of the time. 66 to 67% of his shots come out of spot ups and transition, but he thrives in those. He thrives in those. I'm not saying that it's a knock on him. All I'm saying is that talent-wise, I don't think there's much of a difference between Kobe and Jaden Akins. All I'm saying is that You know, Akins is in a situation where he's playing alongside with Tyson Walker. He's playing alongside A.J. Hogard. So the ball isn't really in his hands and he's not given the same responsibilities off the dribble to make decisions, to come off the screens and see what's there and kind of just operate, which is completely fine. That's just that's that's just kind of how Michigan State is running things. But that's that's good right now because just based off of how how their team is built the way that michigan is built kobe is one of two people who could make any play off the bounce and Kobe's taken that opportunity and just ran with it
1: it's it's interesting you say that because in chicago a buddy of mine was who does not watch a lot of michigan state he and i talk all the time so he hears about them but it was his first time this year seeing them live so he got the ohio state game and you know that comes with all sorts of opinions and he's always down on the big ten anyway but his big takeaway on Michigan State was and there were a couple possessions where Jaden had the ball in his hands and he was like, They need more of that. Like that that's a guy it felt like that was something that gives them a little more juice and you can you can sort of see it. And I will be curious moving forward because this is where it gets interesting with you know, who comes back next year and how roles change. Because if Tyson Walker comes back, what does that then mean for Jaden Aiken's development and growth to that next step? And, and those are things that I think are, are, are delicate. And also, frankly, I'm pretty sure Jeremy Fears is not counting on Tyson Walker coming back either. So, but those are, those are things they're going to have to address because you have to change year to year and you have to let players grow. And, and that's going to be interesting to watch.
2: They reached out to a guard in the portal, the Butler guard too, which which is which kind of threw, threw me way off. So I'm not even sure if there's something else else there in the background happening, whether they expect some movement there.
0: No, it should it should be interesting. Real quickly on Aikens, one thing that he he's shown he can do the sense of freshman, but he's been doing more lately is the the one two dribble pull up right, um, especially attacking a closeout. But you know, shooting, pulling up from the elbow or the nail or wherever, and it's just he's so quick. I mean, that that's Buffkin is obviously a better playmaker because of reps. Maybe he's just a better playmaker because he sees the floor differently. That's, I think
2: it's reps, honestly. It's, it's hard. Yeah, I, I think it's
0: reps too. He's a little longer than Akins. I think Akins has got a little quicker first step, and he's uh, more d- d- explosive. Than yeah, he. he's definitely got more bounce. But, but that pull up is, um, because he's so quick, he can get whatever he wants. But all right, well, speaking well, hold of-
1: on. And here, here, here's the one other oh. thing about that is, right, I mean, Akins missed all of September and October, and then a good chunk of November and into December. So, the team was kind of formed without him this year, and and then he had to come back. And you sort of, whereas you, 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 if. You know, if you're going to be a ball handler, a primary guy in the offense, that's a tough thing to then rework in. So it would have been interesting. I don't know how different it would have been. Maybe not at all in terms of his role. But it, based on the conversations that I had with, with, with Izzo last summer, and I think just talking with Akins over the summer at like the Moneyball Pro-Am and what what they thought. I mean, I don't think they thought this was exactly going to be his year. I mean, I think the injury, too, had, had something to do with how the team sort of sort of formed without him and the offense came to be. No, he's Izzo's talked for months about that he's got so much more to give. They they feel
0: like he's just scratching the surface, and you and you can you can see these moments. Plus, the, the way Ant was talk, Ant mentioned this earlier, the way he gets up in you, right, and the way he defends. He's dropped off just a touch. His shooting started he started taking more shots. I think that's natural. He's 30. the one
1: like when we sit courtside at Breslin, there, uh, you know, and we talk about all this time. What games could you? you see yourself in, in a pickup game and be able to be able to hang and be okay. And this is where I'm delusional. But Akins is the one guy that like when he's defending, I'm like, ah oh, I would hate that. Like that would be the worst. Like if you draw that aside you that guy who's just in the he's more athletic. He's attentive. Oh, yeah. It's like, ah, oh, not this guy. Not that is that today's gonna stink. They're gonna yeah. So anyway, that's
0: yeah, no, it's a, it's like an average guy thinking they can guard Curry or whatever because he's because he, he's not as because he's not as quick as Kyrie. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's just it's just ridiculous. But okay, so so speaking of the, the the last subject here, speaking of the the evolution and point guard play and so forth, and um, and just roles and how they change. I I, I want to get into our everybody's favorite uh, topic that'll never go away around here. It's the, the, the Ben Carter Jaron Jackson kind of moment with Michigan State Syracuse and. My thought is, we can we can talk about it. I want to hear your all th- thoughts first, but I want to throw this out there. I don't think Izzo still regrets that move. I think the thing that and Graham and I have talked about this before, the thing that he's regrets about that season, which he's admitted, is that he didn't put the ball in Winston's hands, that he let the team run through bridges more. Because we saw what happened when he got the ball the next year, right? They got to the Final Four, and then the next year there was some some tragedy. But when he looks back on it, he's like, I wish I'd given the ball to Winston and run more high ball screen offense instead of worrying about Bridges as much. And um, that's the regret, he has no Ben Carter regret, but but, but <laughs> what are y'all's thoughts here, seven years later, eight years later, of the infamous bringing in Ben Carter from Las Vegas to replace the number four pick on
1: the draft? Well, let me give mine before we give the, to the guy with some actual knowledge here. Um, I, I actually didn't hate it, I, I and I liked, because, I mean, they were in a tough spot. They went seven for 35 for three. They, they missed a lot of shots that day, which which was bad. But they didn't have a lot of options, and and he mismanaged that team. He had too many bigs because you remember the year before, Carter and Schilling got hurt, and so they came back for like a sixth year, and then he, he played bridges on the wing when he may have been better at the four in college. But that was sort of a promise as you're coming back to go to the pros. You know that he just didn't. I don't. He had a really talented roster. I don't think he managed all that well. And then Cassius Winston, just by the metrics, is like the most efficient player in college basketball, and yet the <laughs> offense didn't run through <laughs> him enough. It was, it was exactly. It was kind of but. That particular day, everybody talks about Jaron Jackson, and Jaron Jackson was a pro. But sometimes, in Michigan's dealing with it this year, you get the pro in their developmental year, and what you're getting eventually isn't what they are as freshmen. And Jaron Jackson was, was flummoxed at it. He didn't, he didn't have any answers. He struggled. He was out of sorts in the locker room afterwards. He, he really didn't have the, yet the know-how and, and, and developed skill to get them out of that situation either. And Ben Carter had a little more of it if they'd hit some shots. Now, I, I'm i one of the few people who thinks if they would have went to him earlier, let him get more comfortable and done some more of that, it might have helped. But I am I'm usually alone in this argument or maybe sitting on an
0: island. When, which well, no, I, I'm with it. Okay, it's Ann's floor, but uh, this is my two cents on that. When, uh, when Carter came in the game, he immediately started getting better because he came in and he played the middle of the zone. His kickouts and reads were just a lot better than Jaron Jackson's, and then Blankford and Winston and those guys immediately had better shots. They still didn't make them, but technically, from a basketball strategical uh, strategy viewpoint, the the decision made sense. Um, not only that, Jackson was foul prone; I think foul trouble, and, and so so he either had to be in the middle of the zone or running the baseline. Well, Tillman, who was a freshman, actually came in and did a better job of running the baseline that night. But that that's my two cents. Having said that. Jaren Jackson is 100,000 times more talented, so I understand the argument the other way. All right, the floor is yours, Ant.
2: All right, so my biggest thing is that you put someone in the game, this is a one-game elimination tournament, who came into that game with 12 to 13 DNPs. I That's think there. I think you have to lose with your horses, and he played more minutes than both Nick Ward and Jaren Jackson Jr., who were really good at finishing around the basket. Now. Now, Jaron was, I believe, 04 in that game, didn't shoot the ball particularly well. But I think you stick with that knowing that he was efficient, that he was an efficient player. And that was just a blip. Uh, I think you have to go with Ward, JJJ going baseline. And I think you have to put Miles Bridges at the free throw line, not 30 feet away from the basket, which is kind of to Graham's point, which I. I question coming into that season. I'm like, Miles Bridges may be a three in the NBA, but he's your perfect college four. Absolutely. Six, seven, super athletic, can shoot it, would own any matchup at the four at against any team. Maybe the uh, other team has some lottery talent. I don't care. I'm taking two year Miles Bridges against any of them. You're going up against a zone, you beat a zone from the interior. If you're a really good passing team, And a good threat on the inside miles bridges could do all of that whether he catches the ball at the free throw line shoots it free throw line it's one-on-one between him and whoever's in the middle i trust miles bridges going one or two dribbles and finishing around the rim getting fouled getting to the line or making the right lob pass the right bounce pass or the right skip to shooters and then you're going to be in pick and roll with bridges and Cassius Winston on the ball, because Bridges is going to be the one setting that outside screen, so Cassius can get in the lane and make things happen. He has a nice floater, a nice pull-up, and he's really good at finding guys, whether it's on the baseline, or for the opposite lob in the done spot. I just thought that was the wildest game, the wildest mismanaged game I've seen in a long time. I know Fife, <laughs> Fife is all about Ben Carter being there, but I disagreed with them straight up, and I was like, look, man, look, you didn't lose with, with your horses. You gambled, and you lost to a team who had to finish that game with a walk-on playing on the bottom wing. And that cannot happen, that, that, especially if it's a close game. That,
0: no, that's completely fair. I just the, – the, the, the point I go back to is that as soon as Carter came in, the shots became a lot more open because he could read from the middle. Now, to your and point about didn't putting
2: – in- that's why. What's that? We also, didn't guard him that, that oh, much. no, so. right,
0: but yeah. no, but he, but he could pivot, but but he could take the pass and pivot and kick it to where it needed to go, which Jaron Jackson couldn't do. Now, your argument about bridges in the middle, that 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 probably makes more sense. I didn't think Jackson looked good on the baseline either. I thought actually Tillman looked better, even though he was a freshman that year, and he's a better any rebounder, of, right? Any so of those
2: guys, honestly, any of those guys. Going baseline to going from block to block or running the baseline based off where the ball was. I thought that was fine, but there's nothing that that Ben Carter could do that Miles Bridges can't do several levels higher.
0: But they really, they really yeah, that's the, so to me, that's the better argument, right, Grant? The better argument is that Bridges should have been in there yeah. over Carter, but people Not people 30 say, feet away
2: from the basket, no, because I completely I believe, agree. like five feet off the three point line. They right. totally neutralized Bridges out of that game. It, it just didn't make sense. No. Is it, no if,
0: on the other hand,
1: if they make two shots, right. we're not having this discussion.
0: But is that, is I mean, that what the were they? they what you
1: say? Seven
2: for thirty-five.
1: Yeah, I think it was seven for thirty-five or three. Yeah, if if that's the, but is that the year? I mean, I feel like uh the Syracuse made like two or three of those runs from an eleven seed or whatever it was around that era where they everybody would see it in the in the ACC all year and they were a bubble team and they weren't that talented. But they were long, they knew what they were doing, and as soon as they faced, and that, that's what the Big Ten's got to hope in this NCAA tournament, right, is that as soon as you step out of league play where everybody's seen you a million times and, and it's sort of figured you out, that you're going to have some advantages. It hasn't worked the last few years, and, and we'll see if it does in some of the matchups matchups here. But I, I remember that day just thinking, like, how is this Syracuse team not undefeated? They look like the longest... Most connected team, and Michigan State did not. Um, but that whole season, Michigan State did not look connected. Like they won thirty games and no. a Big Ten title and yeah. all that, but they weren't. Michigan they picked weren't, them up. Michigan yeah. picked them apart in New York. Absolutely. You remember that, right? Yeah. They yeah. abused them. Yeah, they,
2: yeah. Weren't, they weren't. They weren't as good as their record, honestly.
0: No, I they think weren't. That
2: year, they beat two tournament teams. Yeah. I think that was Purdue and then Bucknell in the NCAAs. Outside of that, I don't think they beat any team. And I think they played the top. The top six or the top, yeah, they because they are part of the top seven. The other six of the top seven, they only played once that year.
0: And isn't that a good reminder? They lose Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges, and they're better the next year, right? And and do you do you agree with Izzo's sort of regret that he should have put the ball and built the team around Winston, even that at the beginning of the year, like when camp started?
2: I believe that because I think Cassius is one of the best basketball players to come through. Michigan State and um ever ever yeah. yeah ever I mean you're talking about one of the best point guards though. Know, he's right up there with Mateen in my opinion so and Magic you know like I know those are legends but I think Cassius is too do you,
0: uh do you ever think about what might have happened with the COVID because that year obviously he lost his brother at the beginning of that year And struggled, right, rightfully so. But by the end of that year, with the way even Rocket Watch was balling, but Henry's defense, Tillman was the best defensive big in the country to me that season by the end of the year. You remember that. But the way Winston sort of rediscovered himself, you you don't know what what happens with that team, but he might have had a chance to cement the legacy you're talking about, right?
2: I'm going to pop your bubble here because (laughs) the teams that Michigan State fans look forward to the most, bad things happen to You know what I mean? I think I'm not not a Michigan State fan, but yes, I understand what you're saying. They were playing better. They were playing as probably top three team in the country going into the postseason. I agree there. But I just think those teams that you're looking forward to going to a final four and you're like this team can win a national championship, bad things happen. And
1: that's that's true. The one
2: thing that that, the one thing that
1: team had that I recall thinking gave them a great shot was Tillman had reached the point where if they ran into a team that relied on a forward or a five to score, that team was going to lose because Tillman was shutting down. It was like Lamar Stevens one day, you know, are the, yeah. the next, like it, just the different types of bigs that he had reached a point that was like, holy smokes! And and yeah, and, and that, so you you began to trust that a little bit. That said, you're right. That's the the one day that. You know, he turns an ankle or winds up in foul trouble. Or there's, you know, that's the thing about the tournament, right, is you. Or somebody makes shots, yeah, you know, right, like, yeah. the
0: year, like, like the year before. Who who? Th- I mean, maybe you did, Ant. Who thought they were
2: going to beat Duke? I did. Did you? I did mean, you? Oh. a bunch of freshmen. I mean, I, I saw them lined up as who they were going to face if they get to the Elite Eight. I'm like, this is what you want. I mean, like, you're going to face a team super talented, but you're going to be playing against a very young team. Like I know Zion, Zion. I get it, but from a matchup standpoint and from a veteran standpoint, you guys had every everything needed to go in and win that game.
0: What, Man, do, you, I what like, do you mean, you guys? You mean <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, uh, hey, hey it's, all good. it's all good. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, hey, dude, I'm curious. Hey, before before we end this, and I know Graham needs to go, you you need to go. But how is it for you rooting for for Michigan because you you played there. But you do, um, I don't want to get too flower here, but you, you, your social media presence, the way you talk about games, the way you opine about Michigan State is, is pretty objective. And I'm curious how much of your fandom is still in there because you're an alum and you played there, and that, you've got an emotional attachment that means something. It should mean something.
2: I want them, I want them to do well, but I've taken the emotional part out of it, which, which has been very nice for my for my psyche. Um, <laughs> and I've definitely moved towards being more of like a cheerleader for the Big Ten altogether because the national perception of the league is kind of annoying. It's kind of irritating. And, you know, I'm always going back. I'm I'm always going back for the Big Ten in general and less so like, like ooh, Michigan, Michigan, that like I couldn't do just Michigan stuff. I, it would my mind, my brain would explode and.
0: No, um, it, it's it's interesting because you alienate not alienate but you upset some of your Michigan followers and fans all the time.
2: Like, like you're, heavy me blocked and all this. Yeah. Stuff. I don't really care yeah. but because like,
0: you're because you're fair to other teams. It's so, interesting.
2: So, I so, piss people off and I, and I know that. Well, you
1: know? To, to that point, though, let, 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 I am curious what you think. You mentioned uh, paths earlier, Michigan State and Purdue to a Final Four. I'm curious if there's a team in the league like I, I you know, I, I become. The Big Ten for me becomes like that—that that sibling that you, you, you're happy to criticize, and then somebody from the South criticizes, and you're like, "Screw you, man!" And like, you're 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 if you're, you're like, it's not your place." Like, the Big Ten's the best. And so I, I become strangely protective, bizarrely, and I have no reason, no reason for. But mm-hmm. I, and so I want this year to be the year that they put like four teams in the Sweet 16, and it's like there's the depth. That, it was more than depth. It was it was there was some really good teams there. I'm wondering who you look at and go. Like Purdue, I think is a popular upset pick, and I know Memphis and Florida Atlantic are tough second round matchups and all that stuff. But I, I, actually,
2: I mean, I think Purdue's still a they group. gotta get past that game. Yeah, that's the biggest. That's the biggest one. Well, that's a tough draw for Purdue. Yeah. Honestly, is that Memphis, FAU draw? Because I think both of those teams are not going to be afraid of Edie, and they got the backcourts mm-hmm. to go at Purdue. But yeah, yeah. Is there another? Is there, there
1: another team? You like? I kind of, I've kind of given up on Illinois. There's just been way too much inconsistency. For, like, 20-minute stretches, I'll think that's a team that can make a run, and then I don't think they're very connected. Um, Illinois
2: got the hardest draw. Yeah. Illinois got the hardest draw of the eight. Maryland got the second hardest draw of the eight. But altogether, the East Regional and New York, that is, in my opinion, the most wide-open region. And then I think the Midwest is the second most. But the South and the West are both really, really tough, like really, really tough in my opinion. Cause you got Kansas in one, then the other ones got a got Arizona as a two, and then I think NC State and Creighton can make a run to a to a Final Four just because how good their backcourts are. Um, it's just that's a really tough draw for Maryland and a really tough draw for Illinois too, because Illinois has to play two lot two possible lottery picks in the backcourt, and backcourt is where you get to that next level, and then. If you get by them, it got to play Kansas, you know, who has Jalen Wilson, who's been playing at a first team All-American level, Grady Dick, who has been one of the top freshmen this year. He'll be a first round draft pick, probably a lottery pick. And then, and then like, and then they got the little point guard who just kind of just owns everything. And any team that has a good backcourt is going to be trouble for Illinois. And they got to face two of them back to back. And then if you get through that, you Probably got to go through like a UConn VCU. I mean, even St. Mary's got like Ain Mahoney you know, a freshman, very, very good. Iona with Patino Illinois got completely destroyed here and they got trolled. They got trolled, which is unfortunate, (laughs) but they did, they did it. I don't think
1: they did it to themselves in some ways, too, though. I mean, so. All yeah. right, speak, yeah.
0: speak of trolling before before we end. Gra- Graham, tell Aunt your your theory real quick of pickup ball, and then we want to hear from Ant. Well, what what was the sweetest bucket you had? Who what's the best player you gave the business
1: to? Well, so if I walk onto a pickup court, now you know I'm 43 now, so this has been a few years since I've been doing this regularly. But when I was in my mid lower 30s, and I walked onto a court where you know you're the white guy on a court where not a lot of white guys and they don't know you, I would my first shot would be from like 25 feet because if you all you got to do is hit the rim, and if you hit the rim, they look at you and they go shooter. And then there's <laughs> respect, and then the whole game—it's that's the shooter. But if you take a 16-foot shot and you air ball it, and you're 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 not you got some guy guard, you never see the ball again. So the key is right away, just have the cojones that shoot from 25 feet. I mean, it's got to be open. It's got to be rhythm. You can't just jack something up. But look like a shooter. And you don't have to hit the shot. And then from that point forward you you you've you've given your shot it you've given yourself a chance at it's some early respect. I don't know what do you think of that. It,
0: it's really interesting, Ant, that it's just the perceptions when it comes to that in, in, in basketball. I was a um my son; my son played and was a, a pretty good player, played at Ann Arbor Skyline and um and I coached the Skyline team in the fall. I was an AAU coach for a while and I coached the Skyline team in the fall for a couple of years and our best players were you 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 may know him, uh a uh, Brandon Wade was on that team and his brother Ryan and so forth and Keith you, Keith and I used to talk all the time he, when oh, they what? were yeah, yeah you know yeah I was I was I watched Skyline lose and I went to the game with my son who's who's getting into coaching at Lincoln the other night they lost a really tough game to Belleville. but who's anyway your uh, who's your son his name is Sam Windsor he he he, he played some on that uh, team as a senior and we had an AAU team um that was, that was pretty good, but not – so my kids were Division two junior – like my son played at junior college level, Division two. But the fall team I had for Skyline was a um, – you know, Brandon was a – both the weight guys are Division Division one players and so forth. But Keith used to talk about going into a gym when his kids were younger. They're both light-skinned. And then I had another kid uh, that I coached too, Jack Ammerman.
2: Jack Ammerman, and, loved him. he
0: could shoot. He's like a 5'10". I mean, Clay Thompson, right? Just, uh, and so quick, quick release. Anyway, um, Keith would talk about Graham, you'd walk into the gym, and because Keith's a little darker and his sons were really light skinned, that people would make assumptions, especially other black folks, that they were going to be soft and they had all this kind of stuff. And it was just, and he he enjoyed, he should say, loved going into Detroit or to Flint with his team. When his kids were younger, because they thought, "Oh, we're just going to work them," and then they'd go just give them the business, right? And and that, and I love that when I got to coach them a little bit in the fall league because these guys are really good. Anyway, I'm just so to Graham's point to to what Keith was talking about. I'm curious about your your perspective on that, Ant, and the and the the, the stereotypes that people have when it comes to basketball.
2: For sure. First of all, love Jack everman He's over at a D two in Hawaii right now. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Tore up his knee, but he'll be back next year, I believe. So he has two years in Hawaii, so good for him. Love Brandon, love Ryan, love Keith. Outstanding family. I'll say that much. Um, Absolutely. When it comes down to, I mean, when it comes to stereotypes and all that, like you have to, Graham was kind of on point and everybody has to find their way (laughs) to stand out, especially if you're new somewhere and guys don't know you. So when I would come back from like when I would come back from Oak Hill or even Michigan and I would go to a pickup I don't wear any of my gear. I don't wear any Oak Hill stuff, I don't wear any Michigan stuff. I don't I don't like I don't want anybody to, to try to relate me to something that's really good in basketball. So what I would do is in the first two or three possessions I would make sure on the very first miss from the other team, I would go and get the rebound and I would smack the ball on the rebound as hard as I could. And me being 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, usually one of the taller players, I would then run the ball as point. And the first player who I'm, who's guarding me is usually the other team's tallest player, it could be anywhere between six four and six seven. He's more of a big man, and first thing I would do is I would try to hit him with a quick combo, get in the paint, throw it off the backboard, and dunk it.
0: <laughs> well, that's
2: that's so uh... that was my thing to establish myself as I'm here, <laughs> I'm playing. <laughs> if my team loses, you need to pick me up, type of deal. So that's what I would try to do every time. If I couldn't throw it off the backboard, I would just I would just try to just Dunk on somebody, or I would shoot like a thirty-foot three-point shot. But yeah, I'm. You have to establish yourself in the first two possessions, or you are going to be low on the uh, food chain. Which that's sucks. What, you never get an, another shot.
0: No, it's true. And just, Graham, that's funny. I, I don't know that you and I were throwing it off the backboard to ourselves. It, it dunked. On. I remember one time I was in. Uh, I used to go play pickup ball in Detroit a little bit in the late '80s and early '90s, and I was on the court one time I hadn't been on. And I was the only white guy, and I didn't even warm up. They were just like get in, get in, get in. And as soon as I got the ball, the several other guys on the other team were like shooter, shooter, shooter. And I couldn't shoot. I was a, I was like an old man. I had an old man game at six three or so on the, on the block. I had a lot of money. Uh, I played like Kevin McHale at six foot three, and and I could I could work guys over. You can get them going one way, and you go the other. But I couldn't shoot from twenty five feet or whatever. But they just just, they just yelled out at me, shooter, shooter, shooter. Was funny, but that, but, that, that, that right.
1: happens to me now when, when I show and I'll even say if I miss four or five that's the way I stay on a court if I'm I, I hate playing outdoor rims because right you, 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 it's you, shots off the wind's hitting you and I was playing with some young guys a couple years ago and I'm missing every every shot and one of the guys was like looked at me like what are you doing and I was like i'm forty one years old and I'm out here with a bunch of eighteen year olds I can obviously do something well. Give me the ball like and, and I had to like give him that level of confidence. I wasn't sure I was ever going to see a shot go in in that day because it wasn't happening but I would you know look if if there's a forty one year old guy in the court with you, he does something, so just deal with it you know say oh God, we can sit here and uh,
0: and talk about this all afternoon, but we we need to get you guys out of here, and we need to wrap it up for our poor listeners. They don't want to. <laughs> They don't want to hear our war stories. We want to hear more ants. I mean, throwing it off the glass and pulling up from thirty and that sort got, of thing. But
2: I've got stories for
0: days. Yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet I'll bet. Well listen, uh, thank you both for for joining us. Uh it's it's nice to, to finally meet you, Ant, uh, after reading your stuff and uh, watching your breakdown videos from afar. It's uh it, it's a pleasure. I'm glad you're in the market. You 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 bring a lot, uh you bring a lot. Graham, you know what you do too. I, uh, I, besides wear a golf cap from the 1920s, which I think is, uh, you know, not not so bad. But, uh, in any case, thank you guys for for coming. And, um,
2: I've maybe we question. can. Oh, oh got... yeah. Go ahead. Um, does Graham's foresee any pledges upcoming for, uh, Michigan State sports at any level? <laughs> uh,
1: maybe some super lean, some, uh, super interesting guys. <laughs> some, uh, yeah, that's what's funny is for a guy who's, who's, who's so anti the word, you know, I have no idea when recruits are when I'm so out of that world. When it happens, I'm always taken aback and surprised. And
2: uh. it kills me every time. Every time there's a commitment, I run to your page just to see what you say. And then there's a decommitment, I run to your page. Like, uh, it's, <laughs> that's the funniest hill I've, that's, the, that's, that's kind of, yeah, the,
1: the number of hills I have to die on. That is, uh
0: that, well, the, yeah. the, the one last week where you're defending me, where you're saying overtime losses on the road are better than, well, you know, I'd rather uh, win at
1: home than lose on the road. But what's more impressive is getting to overtime overtime on the road than getting the overtime at home when there's all against the a good the team yeah yeah right. yeah I, might, I think my point was valid i don't
0: know no i i i was i was grateful man i was like like Ann said earlier you got the swords uh, and the horses are coming and you're up there doing your thing no that was great all right well let's let's get you guys out of here It was fun maybe we could do this again at some point uh um, I want to thank uh, you, the listener, for, for joining us here at Free Press Sports with Carlson and Sean. You can obviously find us wherever you find your favorite podcasts at Spotify at Apple. Graham probably has his own band out there, own place. He's got his own special pod network. I, I don't know. Uh, you, can, you, can, uh, you can email him or hit him up in the DMs to find out about that. But we want to thank uh, Robin Chan, who produced us. We want to thank Angel Delgado, our editor, our sports editor, Kirk McCrawfan. Crawford, excuse me. And again, thank y'all for tuning in. We'll see you next week with more pre-press sports with Carlson Shaw.